Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with Pastor Evan. I didn't see you, but you saw them. What? Because you just saw them like a minute ago. Oh, yeah. Hey, Life Group Leaders, good to see you again. At Compass Bible Church, we exist, as you heard even in this week's sermon, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we had another standalone sermon before, unless the Lord comes back or something catastrophic, catastrophic. You've been talking a lot. (laughs) Catastrophic happens. happens. A standalone sermon, I'll help you out. Sorry. Yeah, unless something catastrophic happens, next week we'll jump back into chapter 3 of Matthew. Uh, But uh, this week we did another standalone service to go along with our baptisms. In Matthew. In Matthew. The end of it. The very end. We'll get there in about six years. All right, well, Compass, well, life group leaders in particular, we heard a sermon based on Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And let me read that to you right now. And Jesus came back and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, Pastor Hayden, uh, what was your main point for us in this sermon? I have a, and I have a question right after that. Yeah, the, the main point is every Christian exists to reach people for Christ, teach people to be like Christ, and train people to serve Christ. The really reason that we exist as a church. And even this podcast. And even this podcast. Okay, so the first question is why is it so important that we as Christians remember this? And it's something that you know, we jokingly repeat at the beginning of each podcast, but we're not it's really not, joking. Not, we're not joking, yeah. We're but not we're joking. really joking. But we do banter. We banter. We do banter. You know, but we're serious to say, hey, right. everything that we do here, including this podcast, like right. it's not just the podcast. It's the way that we lead our families, the way that mm-hmm. we live in our homes. Why is it so important that we remember this? <clears throat> we have to understand that making disciples, and you guys as life group leaders know this, that's in part why you're a part of our church, is making disciples is the call. And I've said it over and over, even during the sermon, like there are so many good things we can do, and we should. And there's a great organ, a lot of great organizations out there in the world that are doing a lot of good things, but they're not making disciples. And if we do all the good things in the world and we don't make disciples, we're just simply not doing what God has asked us to do. And so, and and I and I get it. It may it may sound to a lost world, or maybe to uh, a uh, immature that is growing in uh, an immature Christian that is they are infantile in their faith. That that just seems rigid, uh, and uh, it seems uncomfortable to them. But that's the importance of preaching messages like this. That just doing good things is not making disciples. And we have to strictly say we are here to make disciples, and we can do a lot of those good things and attach it to making disciples, but we can't do good things and call it making disciples. Speaking of making disciples, in that text, you gave us a good grammar lesson about ancient Greek, and the verb, the imperative, the command in that is to make disciples, and there's these three participles, but... I uh, want you to, can you, one, refresh us and me on that term, what kind of participle it is, and then second question that's tied in with that is, how can we explain to our life groups that this term and how it looks like in the real life, if, that, if I'm clear? Which, which one? Is all of them? The, which one is the go? Go. 
Yeah, the aorist tense. Yes. Is that what you're talking aorist about? Aorist tense. Yeah, I, I said in my sermon, the aorist tense is a, it's a passive verb, which is you need to understand. Like, we want to make go an active verb. Like, I'm going. Like, that's what I'm doing right now. But literally, the structure of the word is is in the passive tense, which means it's actually not something that you are that you decide to do at a particular moment in time. It's the aorist tense, which means it's something that is continually happening. Like it could be happening right now, and it is something that is generally occurring. Does that make sense? Like that's what the word go is as you are going. Yes, and so then why is knowing that so helpful to describe the aspect of making disciples? Well, one of the big reasons why that's important is because making disciples can't be a piece of the pie of what you do in your life. The fact that it is an aorist passive verb is something that has to always be happening in your life. It can't be a uh, what do we what do we call it when people compartmentalize? We can't compartmentalize making disciples because the whole the participle that tells us in in what manner we do this is always we're always making disciples. It doesn't mean you're always in a partner's one-on-one discipleship meeting or that you're always sitting in a chair at church or you're always doing this one thing, but you're always about the work of making disciples. And then how is we, how can we as life group leaders convey and communicate this urgency, this gravity, the implications of this to our life groups this week? Well, I mean, one, to make sure you're doing this, like to make sure when they look at your life as the people that we uh, do prop up, not in a, arrogant way and not in a, that you are the the, the the best you know human beings but the, we prop you up as leaders like you have authority and leadership in our church just like we were talking about and they need to see that you're doing this that your life is the going and making disciples as you're living your life uh, and of course just teaching them the word you know the, the, the blessing of teaching God's word is that if we study it it's there it's it's simple it may not be easy but it's simple and as we teach people what the Word of God says, and then we start, then we do it, and we show them, which is discipleship. I, I, I do it for you. I teach you how to do it. Uh, then I do it as you go with me, and then I let you do it while I'm with you, and then I let you go do it, and then you go train other people. I mean, that's the easy steps of discipleship right there. And but we have to be modeling it and teaching it if we're going to help other people learn how to do it as well. Awesome. So, all right. Well, let's dive into the the points. Um, it's our mission statement, reaching people for Christ. What is it? How can we challenge and, you know, I guess challenge is a good word. How can we challenge and lead our life groups to reach people for like Christ? <clears throat> the hardest thing about reaching people for Christ, from what I see in our ongoing conversations with people, is we, we don't mind going all the way to the point of having to uh, tell people that they are sinners and that they have to return, they have to turn from their sin not just their sin actions, but the fact that they are have a sinful nature and they are sin. Like that is just who we are. We are our nature is sin. That people have to turn from that. And you know, guys, let me tell you. Like I, I get it. I shared the gospel with two of my brothers over the last two and a half weeks, and one of them uh, has come out with a giant identity issue uh, that he b- believes things that aren't true about his identity, uh, and he's running hard after that, like culture teaches him to. Uh, and I have another brother who's been in and out of therapy, in and out of A&A, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all have the same problem, and I have to preach the gospel to them, even though the first thing I don't want to do is look at my brothers after I haven't seen them in a while and say, you're a sinner, and you need to turn from your sin, but that is what I have to do if I want to 
make disciples and reach people for Christ, I have to tell them what is going on. And here's why that's really important is because they have real problems. My older brother has an identity crisis and he is living life and doing things and making decisions that are tearing his body apart. And so, yeah, I think reaching him for Christ is going to be the most beneficial thing for his life even now. And then my other brother, who's been in and out of just terrible situations throughout his life, uh, an awful family dynamics and situations, I think the best thing I can do for him, for, for him, is reach him for Christ. And so I'm not ignoring any of the other realities that he's facing, but I am dealing with the main problem, and he needs hope. Speaking of that, Something you were saying in your message that I thought would be important for us as life group leaders to not only remember, but also to convey to our life groups that the most insensitive thing is not to not meet their practical needs. The most insensitive thing is to not give them the greatest need of the gospel. Given, yes, even the book, I think the book of James talks about to make sure that we're Meeting, meeting the practical needs of the people around us. You know, mm-hmm. Good is it to say, oh, go be go warm. Go be warm and, and go be clothed. And go be I, fed. Yeah, yeah. We and need not to, do it. Yeah. We need to do those things right. because it's the overflow of the gospel in right. us. But as you're talking right now about your brothers, why is it, what would be the most insensitive thing for you to do to ignore your brother's greatest need? Because he lives in a perpetual existence of his the consequences of his sins physically here and now, and that's only going to... Uh, multiply as he stands before God and then has to deal not only with the lifelong mistakes of his sin and its consequences, but also his eternal consequences. And don't get me wrong, when my brother was here, I I paid for all their meals. You know, when we went out, I made sure they didn't pay for anything. I made sure that when they were coming here, they understood that we wanted to love them and pour into them and invest in them. And we didn't just share the gospel with them. We took care of their physical needs. But it didn't matter if I would take care of their physical needs if I wouldn't take care of their biggest need. And so many times what we want to do is we want to feel good about meeting practical needs to kind of cover up the deeper longing and conviction in our heart that we know that we actually should have shared the gospel with them. But we try to cover that up and mask that by doing a bunch of good things. And we, it just doesn't work that way. Awesome. So uh, point number two was to teach people to be like Christ and Essentially, it's making sure we're teaching what Christ said. And you know, Pastor Hayden, what counsel or guidance would you give us as life life group leaders? As not only we lead our life groups this week, but also the day in and day out as we lead them in life, how can we best teach them what Christ had to say? And of course, reading the Bible. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to teach them the Bible. Like you have to always, like we say, ask the question whenever, even when your life, even when you're you're your uh, people in your life group say, what do I do here? Well, we ask the question, what does the Bible say about that? You have to ask that question or they're always going to assume you're giving them your opinion. And we're not in the market of giving opinions. We're in the market of giving people the truth of God's word. And as we live our life according to that, just what does the Bible say? We can quote the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 that says, imitate me as I follow Christ. We want people to imitate us. That means we got to be living the kind of life that is like Christ so that when people look at us, we can tell them, as long as you follow my example, you will be following Christ. Not that you're following me, but you're imitating me as I follow Christ. So therefore you, by nature of following me, following Christ, you then therefore following Christ. And so that's that's the life we, we have to live. 
and not have to live. You don't live. like we understand that we're gonna make mistakes and we're gonna sin and we're gonna fall short. But that's even a great example when you're making disciples to say, "I'm not Christ. I, I make mistakes, but I want to be worthy of imitating." That if you would just follow my leadership, like us as pastors, we make mistakes, we fail. But I, I trust that, Pastor Evan, if people follow you as a general rule, they're going to be following Christ because that's what you're doing. So that I, I believe and trust that that's, that is, that's, it works. It, that's what will help people in your life group know what it means to follow Christ because they're following you and you're following Christ. And how can we, we say, you know, ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about that? What is a, maybe a practical example to help us be ready for the, you know, the real examples when people come up with their problems and things that they're facing? Uh, What is an example you've given to say, okay, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. And what are the benefits that you've seen as a result? I mean, there is a lot. Uh, Let's just go to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's look at verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. But it also says I have to bring them up in discipline. So how do I discipline my kids? Well, it's not an option. I definitely have to discipline them. I have to bring them up. in That's my imperative, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So all of my discipline ought to come with it instruction from the Lord. So even when I discipline my children, it has to be, what does the Bible say about how I deal with this situation as I'm disciplining my child? You see, you can't even get away from it. Even when you're reading the Bible, it says, what does the Bible say? Well, if my child is lying, I have to teach them. God, in the Ten Commandments, God says, thou shall not bear false testimony. We shouldn't, we shouldn't lie. We can't be liars. And because you're lying, I want to discipline you in measure with what's going on so that you see that there's a consequence here on earth and help them understand that there's consequences here and there. But it also tells me not to provoke my child to anger. So that means when I discipline my child and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, I can't be disciplining them in anger myself, nor can I be trying to provoke them and agitate them to a angry response. I have to help them understand that the way I discipline them is to, uh, is to deal with the situation, uh, to instruct them in what God says about it, uh, and do it in a way where I'm not angry and I'm not the one creating sin. So there you go. I mean, that, you want to discipline your child? Yes, you ought to. Don't provoke them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All discipline should instruct them that has something to do with God. If I'm disciplining my children, it ought to instruct them when it comes to the Lord. Well, that's just a good example off the top of my head. Yeah, and just even thinking of examples in the counseling room when people bring up an issue or even with their marriage when they think, all right, the best solution is to end it. I was asking, okay, what does the Bible have to say? And we walk yeah. through it and it confronts them. But the good news is the fruit I've seen from it is even seeing the people's marriage not only you know, recover but grow as a result of it. Or even thinking of the baptism, uh, some of the uh, baptiz- baptism um, testimonies we heard when people in the counseling office with you and they bring things up, bring things up, and you go, what did the Bible have to say about that? And sometimes they walk out of the room going, I wasn't a Christian, but now I am. Right, and, and that's when you hear in those baptism things. You go, you know, I meet with Pastor Hayden, I meet with Pastor Evan, or I meet with my life group leader, and, 
you know, I told them I was dealing with anxiety and they told me I wasn't a Christian, as if there isn't a possibility for a Christian to deal with anxiety. That's not at all the case. Of course, there are Christians who deal with anxiety. But anxiety is a great litmus test for us to figure out, can we deal, do we have the spirit in us to be able to deal with anxiety according to what the word says? Or as we continue probing and asking questions about anxiety, uh, they come to realize that they have no power ability to do it. And since God promised us not only forgiveness of sin, but the power over sin as we're walking in faith, and if people don't have that power and they confess to never responding to the gospel, then we say, well, your anxiety is a proof that you're not a Christian. Although there may be Christians who have anxiety, and that's not a proof that they're not a Christian. It's a proof they need to apply the word, but you see the difference there. We can use anxiety, uh, at least dealing with anxiety in the counseling room, to say, well, either you need to be sanctified or you need to be justified. Does that make sense? It is clear. Okay. All right. Last point was to train people to serve Christ. And I think that struck me. I'd love for us to maybe wrap the sermon overview with this is something that you said that Christ gave us the commission to pass it on to the next generation, to the mm-hmm. next generation, to the next generation. One, why is it important? And two, what can we do, what can we do to remind and encourage our life groups to say, hey, this is for us to pass down? What was your first question? The first question, why is it important for us to remember that this, you know, us training people is to continue to, you know, train people to be disciples of Christ of throughout time. Until right. And I guess some pastors are going to make a foolish statement and say things like, well, if we don't do it, who will? It's like God will. <laughs> like, you're like, well, if we don't pass it on, then, then the world won't have the gospel. False. The world's going to have the gospel. Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't think the problem is that if we don't do it, it won't get done. I think the problem is if we don't do it, we miss out on the privilege and the responsibility to get to be a part of it. Uh, And that is, I think, where if you're listening to this, life group leaders and the people in your group listening to this, that's, that's, that's the real bummer that you don't get to be a part of what is going, God's going to do it. And that's what I get to, I love it. It's like following, following Christ is like, I'm going to win. I just got to play the game. It's like, man, can you imagine? Like, you are going to win, just play the game. Imagine if how many things would you enter into if you knew you were going to win if you would just enter. And that's the thing about making disciples. We're going to make disciples if you would just do it. And if, oh, what if you don't do it? Well, somebody will, and they're going to do it because we're promised that Christ is going to do what he's going to do. He uh, it gives us the privilege to do it. So that's that's why that's important. Uh, and, and really... Uh, you get the privilege and the blessing, even like as we have kids, you know, if we're out making disciples and we're having kids, well, guess who the first disciples we're going to make are? Our kids. And so, so many people uh, reject or neglect the disciple making, and yet they think they're just not making disciples of random people, but you find out as their kids grow up, they neglected even making disciples of their own kids. And now what we're dealing with is the repercussions of that when our kids are you know, running amok and living the sin-filled lives, and it's coming out in their actions and the consequences of their life. And we say, not only did I not make disciples generally, I didn't make disciples particularly with my kids. And so that's just one small example, but that's why it's so important, because God, it's not just, hey, it'd be a good idea if we went and made disciples. It's like, no, no, no. Making disciples is the way that, that God saves people from their sins through Christ, the way that God frees people uh, from the power of sin here on earth as we're progressing in our sanctification. And it's the way that he releases us from the consequences of sin through our glorification. That's what making disciples is. It's to, it's to completely rid us from 
any stain or smell or evidence of sin as we go after God and are glorified in his presence. Wonderful. All right. Well, Life Group leaders, we have a few application questions uh, for our life groups this week. So let's make sure that we uh, do them and that we are prepared for them. Uh, Anything, Pastor Hayden, that you'd want to make sure that we cover in our life groups this week with application questions? Actually, these are all right in line with the sermon ease from like the easy make a disciples, reads, teach, train. You should be able to handle these uh, very well. Uh, one thing that uh, when you go to question number four, you have three scriptures, Acts 2, Acts 8, and then Romans 6. Remember, Romans 6 is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about being placed into Christ. And so when you read Romans 6, it's not talking about water baptism. So make sure that as you, you know, read that question... That's talking about being placed into Christ. And now what do these verses prove the importance of being symbolically immersed? How does Romans 6, 3, 4, which talks about being placed into Christ literally uh, in his death, being placed into him for salvation, and then what does Acts 2 and Acts 8 have to say about being symbolically immersed into the water as part of the disciple-making process? So make sure that you understand the difference in those. And I know you will. I just don't want you to miss that because I didn't tell you. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, were there any resources that you found helpful? I know I jotted a couple down, but wanted to know if you found any helpful this week. The Bible. <laughs> that's, a <laughs> great resource. that's a great resource. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't nah, I didn't have one that I thought other than what, I mean, we obviously recommend tons of, of resources to you guys, but I didn't have one down that I was going to particularly share. What did you write? Well, I wrote down Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. It's just a helpful reminder of how you know discipleship can look. It's personal and it's mm-hmm. intentional, kind of what we probably talked about in the Life Group Leader meeting. It's like, hey, it's got to be intentional. It can't be just, hey, goodbye, I'm done. Um, and also, you know, partners. It's a helpful mm-hmm. resource that you all know about and you know, lead people within your life group through partners so that they can learn more about how to grow as Christians. Good. All right, guys, we want to remind you, you have uh, your life group leader training that is Ministry Grit. Uh, That assignment is due on the 22nd and uh, very encouraged of, you know, just our life group leader training this morning uh, and and really looking forward to using this Ministry Grit throughout uh, the next few years at least and and hopes that it's going to be a great tool for us to continue uh, making disciples. All right, announcements uh, quickly. Exploring Compass n- n- next week and the week after that. If anyone in your group has not finished Exploring Compass or has yet to sign up, encourage them to do that now uh, so they can begin being a part of the disciple-making process here at our church. We have a new book for the pastor's pick, The End of Anxiety, uh, by Josh Weedman. And, we sold uh, out. We sold out, but we'll have some more, uh, and it'll be uh, here for the next few weeks. And we already have next month's book picked out as well. So we are loving these pastor's picks because people are really uh, buying them up. And so if you have anybody in your group who needs a book on anxiety, this is a good one. So we want to encourage you to point them to the bookstore next week. We have our men's breakfast January 14th at 9 a.m. That's next week. Uh, And Pastor Evan's going to talk about living a holy life. And then we also have our women's fellowship on the 28th as well. Uh, and you guys will be meeting at, I believe, 10 a.m.? 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Is it 9 2? We're matching 9 and 9. All right. All right. We're meeting at the same time. So the 28th. So make sure you guys are prioritizing that. Prayer night, January 29th, the very next day. We'll be meeting that evening to do prayer. 
Uh, and invite your, you know, invite your your people in your life group. Like I understand that if you as a life group leader can't be at every single thing that we do as a church, but it should never stop you from inviting your life group to participate in some of these important things that we're doing at our church. And then we have a church-wide serve team training February 5th from 1 to 3. I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be such a wonderful part of the rhythm of our church every year to get all the church together and uh, train them on how they can serve Christ better. All right, Compass Life Group leaders, I, like I said earlier, I love you guys. We're so thankful for you, what you're doing here. Uh, and let's uh, let's keep going all for the glory of God. We'll talk to you guys soon. Mm-hmm.